I just started to see again and again and again how much of the problem in our failure to provide world-class medicine came from our inability to provide repeatable and reliable systems around our delivery of care. $140 billion. Our guest today on the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast, Mudit Garg, estimates this is the amount of excess spend in the U.S. healthcare system due to length of stay inefficiencies, which is when patients stay in the hospital longer than medically necessary. Mudit discusses a solution where artificial intelligence and machine learning can change physician behavior and save money. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more on today's show, visit health.oliverwyman.com, join our online community on Twitter at OWHealthEditor, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Thanks, and enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Sam Glick, partner in the Health and Life Sciences practice here at Oliver Wyman. In this episode, I'm delighted to be talking with Mudit Garg. Mudit is the founder and CEO of Cuventus, uh, based here in California. Uh, and Cuventus uses machine learning uh, to improve care delivery. Mudit, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Sam, for having me. So, Mudit, you've been, you've been working for some time on a topic that's near and dear to our hearts here at Oliver Wyman, which is healthcare waste and efficiency. Um, by some estimates, you know, nearly a trillion dollars a year is wasted um, in terms of healthcare spending, and we have incredible inefficiencies throughout the system and a lot of, um, frankly, low-tech ways of, of managing um, who gets healthcare and when and how we put resources behind that. Um, how, did you, how did you get interested in this topic? Yeah, that's a great question because in many ways it was accidental. Um, you know, I, I grew up I grew up in India in a very different healthcare system. And anytime I imagined the US healthcare system, what I thought about was the incredible uh, clinical advancements that were available. Um, if you had a tough disease that no one could solve, you went to the healthcare system. Um, to some extent by accident, um, I had a chance to work in hospitals probably about a decade ago um, with uh, as, as part of a consulting firm where I was helping them improve their operations. And that, to me, the first time I walked into one of those hospitals was a really eye-opening experience. There's two things that stuck out for me. One, very much the fact that even this rural hospital had amazing world-class clinicians, access to some of the best world-class therapies, equipments, so by any measure, um, you would imagine they had access to all the resources you would want a great health system to have. But by, by any metric that you use, we know as a healthcare system collectively, we were failing to provide world-class medicine. So I saw in that hospital people who worked were incredibly dedicated. A patient walked in, the whole emergency trans department transformed to take care of that patient. People took diving catches. If a patient didn't get their MRI done on time, they will go wheel them in. But ironically, because of their willingness to take these diving catches, I could keep seeing that the system itself was failing them and never developing. We just kept going with that same problem day in, day out. And maybe as an engineer, maybe just uh, being someone who gets gravitated towards the boring process problems, I just started to see again and again and again how much of the problem in our failure to provide world-class medicine came from our inability to provide repeatable and reliable systems around our delivery of care. And, and, and how much of that that could mean to those um, doctors and nurses who work countless hours every day to do the best they could. Um, so that sort of was my first exposure to the problem. 
and as 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 i kept going deeper into it i kept seeing that these little problems so to speak the fact that a patient who didn't get their mri done on time stayed an extra day stayed an extra two days those things added up to a massive amount of waste in the system like just the patients who stay past their length of stay that's why some estimates of 140 billion dollars of excess spend in the healthcare system that is unbelievable and that's a problem that wasn't very well understood wasn't very well looked at by anyone outside the industry um so coming in with the with the mindset of um of data of engineering of trying to find a more repeatable way for people to be able to do these things without having to and and being able to themselves focus on clinical care was the inspiration behind it and what got me into the space that's great that's great so so what does cuventus do about the problem great question so first i think um you know if we look at the goal as helping improve these operational processes that's a pretty complex problem like there is a reason why hospital operations are far more complex you know peter drucker said hospitals were the far the most complex organization he had ever seen um as i talk to health system leaders they talk about the fact that half the patients they have coming in are on schedule they can show up at any time the amount of resources a patient takes and how long they stay it could be hours it could be months is unknown and it's a highly people driven business so what our system is doing is taking those little small decisions that a great manager would anticipate right a great manager anticipates and realizes this mri is super critical to get done today because tomorrow morning a doctor is going to round and very likely this patient might leave but they're not able to do that all the time because they literally have thousands of such decisions they need to look at our ai and our system predicts this patient is very likely to go get discharged tomorrow they have an mri order that's pending that's likely to be critical less surface that to be more that to be prioritized as an example of one small decision or as another example of decision many of us have been to an emergency department an excellent manager in an emergency department anticipates when things are going to get bad and therefore the backup is going to start exponentially increasing again um, very often uh, when things are getting busy they are um, they may be doing hundreds of other things our system will look at and say hey dr smith tends to order more labs it's monday after thanksgiving it's really cold outside and based on all these things and what's going on in my icu and what's going on in my ed right now i will not have capacity in the next 2 hours and here's two things we can do right now here's two things we can prioritize right now that'll change it and we've seen when we can do that it makes a huge difference both to the staff and to the communities like one of the hospitals um we worked with cut down almost a million minutes of patient wait time for that community that town had two hospitals a ton more patients were able to get the care without additional resources than they would have otherwise so that's the kind of stuff that we work on uh behind the scenes almost acting like an air traffic control looking in the background anticipating problems and enabling the actual care deliver, uh, delivery uh doctors and nurses to focus on the patient and making the rest of the logistics as seamless as is possible in this complex an environment that's fabulous and i think the the last part of what you said is particularly interesting because so often we see innovations in healthcare um that get a lot of resistance from doctors and nurses in particular because they don't want some administrator or so some computer telling them what to do um you know they they want to feel like they're doing what's best for their patients do you run into that kind of resistance how do you how do you work with people to fit this into to what they naturally want to do great question and i think that's um it is um we probably often as as an industry taken too paternalistic of you let's say for example in clinical decision supports systems to say this is what you should do 
And that's really hard because actually no computer system has the full context digitally captured to know what is the right answer to do in that situation. And from a human behavior change standpoint, things don't work that way. Um, so on the first point, um, you know, much of what my pain score might look like and yours might look like might be different. And on the second point, if I often tell people if I was driving and every time I went to 66 miles an hour, something shrill started sounding an alarm in my, in my car, I'll pot, throw it out of the window. But if it learned that, you know, I usually go three, four miles above, but I rarely go five or six miles above and it learned that and started slowly changing my behavior, it is much, much more likely to be successful. So that is one of the core principles for us. One, to form a new habit. And the system's goal is to help me form a new habit. First is a highly contextual cue, a cue that is actually rich in understanding what I do, why I do it, what's my context in front of me. And that's where using the machine learning driven approach versus a rules-based approach tends to offer a lot of advantages so that I'm not, um, I'm not incessantly sort of saying, this is the best practice, this is the best practice, this is the best practice, while it is not operationally something that is even feasible for you today. Um, so that's one of the core components of it. The second component that is pretty core is then really thinking about the cost benefit of that. You know, if, if it is something that can benefit a lot um, or has a high downside cost, I would want to have a different level of confidence in it before messaging you. But if the cost of interrupting you uh, is not that high, or if the benefit is super high, I might be more aggressive in doing so. So having that kind of a, not just the machine learning, but the decision science on top of it allows us to really keep the users in mind. And then lastly, there's two other critical components for uh, having a habit form, which um, one is a routine. Like how do you make sure it goes into workflow with the least amount of effort uh, for those people? And how do you make sure it's clear what needs to be done? And the last is recognition and feedback so that you know uh, when you're doing it, it's actually helping you and that gets reinforced and the habit gets formed through it. That's great. And you, you, know, you just used two phrases that are, that are hot in healthcare right now. Uh, one of them, AI, artificial intelligence. The other, um, machine learning. You know, so much of what gets talked about in terms of AI and machine learning and healthcare um, is a lot about you know, what, the, what the patient sees. So it's about the virtual care, it's about the chat bot, it's about can we replace clinicians. And it's, it's interesting to me that, that you're looking at AI and machine learning in terms of being behind the scenes with a human clinician still being the person facing the patient. Is that intentional? What do you, how do you think about the role of AI and machine learning in healthcare more broadly? Yeah, I mean, I think often, way back in the development of AI, there used to be two separate schools of thoughts that are kind of now merged into one, which is the artificial intelligence school of thought, uh, the more generalized AI, versus the more intelligence augmentation school of thought, which is what I, the one that I feel is much, much more applicable to us. Um, that is what I look at. Um, I mean, if you look at one of the first examples of applying machine learning in the 60s and 70s was uh, sorting mail in the, in the postal office. It wasn't that we couldn't do it. It wasn't that no one could sort mail in the postal office. It was that to do it at the pace and scale that it needed to be done and doing it reliably was where the machines could play a role. Um, that, I think, is the, is the missing part. Even actually in Jeff Bezos's investor letter last year, he wrote about his belief in the biggest impact of machine learning being on quietly and meaningfully operating, uh, improving core operations, where uh, product is placed, how much inventory they forecast, where is demand forecasted, things like that, that are enabling their warehouse workers and enabling their uh, e-commerce store managers to do the, to the best job they can. So that's sort of my very conscious choice. And that is sort of my very core belief is that um, the, the, in such an, a complex environment, if you can free up 
uh, our clinicians to the to do the highest cognitive tasks. Um, that's what success looks like today. And where do you think we go from here? What's next in AI or machine learning? I actually think like the dialogue of AI and machine learning in healthcare quickly needs to start moving towards the operationalization of AI and machine learning in healthcare. I think like if you if you look at just the AI and machine learning, a far too often we believe that that would be a silver bullet to solving things, and it's not. We've seen success, we've seen failures at at large scales when the belief was of a crystal ball that's going to come and solve everything. Um, I think it's really the operationalization of AI. The AI itself, the machine learning itself will be commoditized. It's how you actually apply it. The things I was talking about around behavior change, how do you give the right cue? How do you think about the best routine and the best low friction method of enabling it? How do you think about the recognition and feedback people should get in that situation so that they are, uh, they are likely to uh, change the behavior of what was going on? That part of it, I think, is the biggest change in AI's application in healthcare that can happen um, that will actually deliver the outcomes we all hope and wish for uh, from AI. I sure hope so. So, Mudit, uh, I'll ask you the question I ask uh, all of our guests. If you had all the time, money, resources, talent in the world, uh, you could do anything to influence healthcare, what would be the one thing you'd do? You know, if I could magically change one thing, actually it would be the willingness of both patients and providers to put up with a poorly designed and unreliable system. I... Um, one of the hospital CEOs I was talking to said, discharging a patient takes them 174 moving human parts of the process. And there is no way to anticipate it. Just something which as a patient to me seems fairly simple, discharging a patient. And one of the big reasons that's the case is we put up with it, both we as in the patients and we as in the clinicians and the providers and the managers of those departments. If we can A, change our willingness to put up with it and B, provide a solution where that doesn't require manual effort day in, day out. I think we have so much potential in the resources that we have available in the healthcare system. And that, that's what my hope would be. Spot on. Sometimes the, the biggest thing we need is just to say we're not going to take it anymore. Uh, Mudit Garg, uh, thank you very much. Uh, pleasure to talk to you today. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out our other executive conversations on the business of transforming healthcare, featuring Aetna, Humana, Castlight, and many more. We also invite you to subscribe to the Oliver Wyman Health community on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This way, you'll be notified whenever a new podcast goes live. For more on today's episode, follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor and visit our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health, at health.oliverwyman.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.